Gracious God, as we gather in this place, we are thankful for the opportunity we have to continue to explore what it means to be in relationship with each other, to learn more about ourselves and about others and how God has created us, to be able to use these numbers in ways that are glorifying to you. If they help us to be in better relationships, if they help draw us closer to each other and to you, then they are good. If they help us show our fears, if they help us to be able to show all the ways that we can fall into sin and how we can avoid that, they are good. And so, Lord, just pour into us today as we talk about threes and what that looks like. May the words that I say be acceptable and pleasing to you. May they speak to our hearts in powerful ways, no matter who we are. The people of God said together, Amen. Encourage you, as always, to be able to follow along in the Version Bible event. Or you can also go to the Facebook and click on the link and it goes to a whole different page. Or you can go on a website later on. And our website now has all the notes every week from every sermon. And uh, so you can go to the website and you can see the recaps, videos, download MP3, anything you want to be able to revisit some of these things you might not catch or um, want to go back and look at in different ways. And so we continue that each week we have been applying the Enneagram types to characters in the Bible and what we can learn from each of them about us and our relationships. And even if you're not into the Enneagram, that's fine because the Bible story stands on its own. It makes no difference about those pieces of it. But if you're on that journey with me, then it's interesting to be able to see how they connect. So, so far we have learned about five, say five, the investigator or observer with the Magi, Thomas, and Nicodemus. And I won't ask where my fives are because you'll just, you won't even raise your hands. Then it was eight. Say eight. The challenger or leader with John the Baptist and Samson. Eight, you like to make noise. So eight, make some noise. Okay, good job, eight. That was awesome. Are you an eight? Okay. All right. Followed by ones, the reformer, the perfectionist, the apostle Paul. Say one. Got any ones you want to shout out? Okay, the perfectionist crowd over on this side. There you go. Last week it was two. Say two. That are commonly known as the helpers. Any twos out there? Yeah, a lot of people are twos. Um, you got your, your, your twos full last, last week. I mean, that was rough. And with the story of Mary and Martha. And today it's time for the three. Say three. Anybody know there are three already before you even do it? Oh, Roger's a three already. I saw some. Oh, Al's a three. Okay. All right. Well, here, this is for you guys. I'm sorry. These are all painful, you know. There's a lot of growth and pain, you know, so that's unfortunately the place where it goes. But there's a lot of good stuff, too. Enneagram type threes are commonly known as the performer or the achiever. Threes are driven. They're success-oriented or at least to appear successful. Threes aim to impress others with their skills, their acknowledgments, their knowledge and their accomplishments. Sometimes to the point of caring more about how they appear to others than you should. Threes are image conscious. That's the whole realm right there of image. They have an uncanny ability to appear successful and important regardless of the crowd. They tend to forget their identity around their successes. But you're faithful. And your focus 
a lot like another three, Moses. And although he cared too much about how he looked to others, looking at Numbers 20, 8 through 13, we find this the most. It starts like this. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock that God told them about. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? The people are thirsty, they're hungry, they're whining, they're complaining the whole time. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out. And the community and the livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to do that, And to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. See, they were supposed to let God do that. And they got so frustrated and so upset with the people, they decided to do it themselves. And so they lost the opportunity to go into the promised land because of that. But ultimately, though, Moses led God's people well. He obeyed the Lord, except for that one time. And it cost him a lot. He was an achiever. You see, the gift of threes is truthfulness, authenticity. Threes have really good BS detectors. They can see through the charade of others because they are so accustomed to the games people play. Threes value honesty. Healthy threes do. In their relationships and with themselves. They can give you an honest assessment of the world as they see it. And they can tell you how to make things better. Streamlining, productivity, efficiency are second nature to threes. Threes get stuff done. Amen, threes? And like all types, their wings determine how to do that. Say wings. Once again, the bullets, and you can see all the wings. They're all laid out on one side of your insert. A three with a two wing is the star. They are warmer, more encouraging, sociable, popular, enjoy being the center of attention and seductive. You're going to see tonight stars. You'll see people who are achievers who are stars on stage. That's how they get there. And stars in the football game who who are the standouts, many of them will be threes. A three with a four wing is the professional. They are more focused on work, success, introspection. They are more sensitive, artistic, imaginative, and pretentious. And with either wing, though, the three is in the heart triad. Say heart. This is the other part I was talking about last week that I said I would explain more of as we add layers to this. That is the other side of your insert. It talks about the heart, the head, and the gut triads, these different triads. Within the Enneagram are centers or triads of three types that share similar underlying motivations, feelings, strengths, blind spots. You see the two, three, and the four are all in the same heart triad. They all have the same kind of things going on, but in different ways. They are unified in a natural subconscious shame that tends to impact them in different ways. Image conscious, see. They all want to feel affirmed and appreciated by others. 
whether they are aware of it or not, when their healthy heart types can be caring and authentic and connected with others. Relationship is everything to the heart types. However, they may express shame in negative ways when they don't take the time to properly work through it. And every type has some of God's own nature within them. And when I think of the performer or the achiever, I think of all the times we're reminded of what God has done for us, what God has achieved for us. Come and see what God has done, Psalm 66.5 and other psalms talk about. Come and see what God has done for us. Or the Lord has done great things. The psalms ring out again and again, these songs of praise. Richard Rohr says, No character in the Bible embodies any Enneagram number more completely than this biblical character of the three. He is called the heel grabber. Who do you think that is? Any guesses? Who's the heel grabber in the Bible? Anybody know? Who? Jacob. Jacob is the heel grabber. If you haven't bone up on his story lately, I encourage you to go back and read the whole story of Jacob and you'll see exactly why. We're going to hit the highlights of his story. He embodies a three. You remember his story, right? You're so well versed in it. Jacob's story is recorded in Genesis 25 if you want to follow along and after. And Jacob and his brother Esau were the fraternal twins, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandsons of Abraham and Sarah. And even from the womb, Jacob was a deceiver. Stay right there. He fights with his brother Esau even in the womb. And at their birth, Jacob's limb sticks out first. But his brother was actually firstborn. So imagine as he's pushing through past his brother to get out first while he's trying to shove his brother out of the way. Jacob came second, grasping the heel of Esau. And his name actually literally means heel grabber or deceiver. Genesis 25, 21 through 26. Jacob would eventually go on to trick his older brother out of his birthright and his blessing. He devises a plan with his mother, Rebekah, to steal the birthright as his father lays at death's door. Jacob pretends to be Esau and receive his father's blessing by putting on goat fur and sheep fur and everything to be like Esau because Esau means hairy. He was apparently a hairy red guy. See, in Genesis 25, 27 through 33, Jacob's earliest days represent the unhealthiest side of threes. And that is success at any cost. Remember, we're all healthy, unhealthy in different ways. Doesn't mean every three you look at goes, oh my gosh, you believe in success at all costs. That's not what that means. But when you're unhealthy and you're a three, you can certainly go down that dark path and keep heading down it before you realize that you're down it. All of us can do that. And speaking of the heel, 
that really is the Achilles heel of a three. We all have a vice, remember, a deadly sin. They're hard to hear. So many folks have come to me and said, you know, these are really hard sermons to, to hear if you're that number. You forget the first Sunday I was the one to put myself out there and told you everything that was bad about me. But we've long forgotten those pieces. Don't dwell on the things that, that are our fears and our stressors and that sort of thing, but be aware of them. Because if you're not aware of yourself, and you're not aware of your darker side and how to deal with that, you will succumb to it. Because it isn't natural for us just simply to go towards the positive all the time. In stress, we will go towards negative parts of our life. And we will steer that way. We need the corrective to be able to say, wait a minute, I don't need to go there. I need to go here. All of us struggle with that. And their vice, the vice of a three is deceit. It's deceit. Threes are expert mask wearers. Threes can become whoever they need to be in every given situation to, in order to fit in or make others think highly of them. The danger for threes is they can become social chameleons to the point they lose their own identity. And they deceive others to the degree that they end up believing in their false persona. Self-deceit is the true vice of a three. Unhealthy threes can be ultra-competitive. They divide the world into winners and losers. And they definitely won't be caught dead among the losers. Failure is not an option. That is the motto of a three. Or if you have a three wing. For unhealthy threes like Jacob, the end absolutely justifies the means in achieving success and being known as the best. That is who Jacob is early on. He doesn't care what he has to do in order to get what he wants. Today we'll have a bunch of threes on the field for the Super Bowl. If you lose Super Bowl, what are you? A loser. Doesn't matter if you've gone through the whole season, you've had a great year, you don't make it Super Bowl, you're a loser. You go to Super Bowl and you get there and you lose, you're a loser. Winners and losers. That is the hallmark of threes. And there'll be an armchair worth of achievers screaming top of their lungs about their team. If it had been the Titans in there, there'd be a lot more in Tennessee screaming top of their lungs. But unhealthy threes are not in tune with their emotions at all. They have the ability to compartmentalize their lives in such a way that negative emotions don't necessarily have any bearing on their ability to perform. But this can also mean that threes try to avoid conflict, especially in times of stress. And when a three is under stress, like all of us, we go to a different number. They will start to show some of the average or unhealthy characteristics of a nine. Say nine. They become disengaged, apathetic. They go on autopilot. They lose their focus and drive. They involve themselves with busy work to give the appearance of accomplishment. And feeling little energy and passion, they want to be left alone and given their space. A perfect example of this is that when Esau hears he has lost his blessing, he is furious. And he sets out to go and kill Jacob. Rightly so, right? And rather than confront Esau, 
and own up to his actions, Jacob runs away from the conflict. And interestingly enough, while he is on the run, Jacob receives a vision from God. In Genesis 28, 11-13, we find that. And it includes a ladder with angels ascending and descending from heaven. Ascent and descent. Climbing up and down ladders. Threes know all about that. Trying to succeed and go higher. Or falling back. These Threes relate to these ideas really well. But even at his lowest, here it is that God is reassuring Jacob that he is with him. That he was watching over him. That he was loved and pursued even when he was on the run. And I think that's a message that most threes and all of us need to hear. That God still loves us. That God is still with us even when we're on the run. Even when we're trying to get away. That God loves us and pursues us. Amen? Then Jacob went to work for his uncle Laban in Genesis 29. And while working there, Laban gave Jacob a taste of his own medicine by deceiving him into marrying Leah and then Rachel, who he wanted first. But during this time, it seems as if Jacob turns a corner in his life. He no longer tries to win at all costs. He works hard for what he wants, knowing that his efforts will pay off in the end. He's willing to wait. If he's patient enough to follow through, things will work out. While working for Laban, Jacob gains wives and sons and a lot of wealth. But he also learns something else. Jacob learns patience. And he learns humility. You see, threes grow through struggle and challenge. They need it, even if they don't look for it or don't accept it. If things come too easy to threes, then they stay stuck in their unhealthy patterns of vanity and deception and a win-at-all-cost mentality. But the ultimate challenge for Jacob comes when he made the decision to go home, confront his past. How hard is it to confront your past? To go back to the place that you've made mistakes and be able to figure out how you're going to take that on is possibly one of the hardest things for a three to do. And while Jacob was making his way back home, he had an encounter with God that would leave him crippled in Genesis 32. You probably know this story. Jacob wrestled with God all night. And showing his dedication in the struggle and his unwillingness to give up when things got hard. That is true growth for a three. To stay in the struggle. To fight. To grow out of that. To not give up when things get hard. And so when their threes are moving in the direction of growth and security... They will show the healthy side of a six. Say six. Six of the loyalists. We'll talk about them next week. They become more cooperative, more other-focused, more dedicated, more loyal, more, more in touch with their own emotions and those of others. 
And when they become aware of their feelings and reveal who they really are behind the achieving mask, they become more vulnerable. In refusing to give up when things got hard, Jacob showed real transformation, real maturity as he worked through his life and changed. Davis, go ahead, please. But he also failed. Jacob didn't win in his wrestling match. Look at the scripture. I wanted you enough time to be able to read it enough. Because sometimes the best thing that can happen to a three, and this is the hardest thing in the world for a three, is failure. Threes don't like to fail. They don't like to be told that they failed either. They don't like to feel like they failed, even when they haven't. They don't like to fail. But see, we all learn from our failures more than we do our successes. Amen? And we don't like it. That was the weakest amen ever because no one likes it. Your successes did not determine who you are. It's interesting for uh, like my Alabama friends here in the, in the congregation. Lost. They lost. They failed this year. They're going to learn more from this than anything else they're ever going to do. They've been winning for so long. They don't know what it's like to really fail. They're going to be a better team even more than they were before. Teams that fail, the Titans, they didn't fail. And yet we think they did fail because they didn't make it. They're going to be such a better team after this because they will work through that failure and use that failure. Because teams always do that. People don't. When we fail as people, we go, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. I can't do anything right. I'm no good. There's nothing else that I can do. We don't look at failure as an opportunity for growth. We look at failure as a negative thing. But failure is not that. If you don't try... You'll never fail. And if you don't try, you'll never really succeed because you don't try to do anything different. You don't try to to go out there and have the chance for failure or to even do that. Threes want to avoid failure at all costs. But it's the very thing, and for all of us, that can lead to growth and transformation. It's growth and transformation. Look at the story of Peter and failure. If Peter had just stopped because he denied Christ, where would the rest of the church be? There's a lot of heaviness in him. In this case, because of his struggle, Jacob would no longer be called Jacob. See in that text? It says he'll instead be called Israel. And we all know Israel. We know that name. We know that country. We know that whole people are all out of Jacob. And because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome... But he didn't win the fight. See. And so when Jacob finally did confront Esau, things were not nearly as bad as he had imagined. He had feared for the worst. We all do that. We fear for the worst. And we were like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. He had feared that Esau would still hold his deceptions against him. That he would seek revenge for all that Jacob had taken from him. And that was a lot over all these years. And much of Jacob's surprise, he was greeted with the open arms of forgiveness. So Esau must have had a lot of growing that he did over all those years too. To be able to come back together. 
You ever notice that when you do that work over time, that things seem to change and things that mattered 20, 30 years ago don't mean the same thing anymore if you let them out of your heart and you don't hold them? Forgiveness can come. This can completely rock a threes world. Threes, especially unhealthy threes, have a hard time believing they are worthy of love and acceptance. They know their own deceitfulness. They know their own vanity. They know their own faults that they are trying to hide from the rest of the world. And when those faults and those failures and those shortcomings and sins are laid bare for the world to see and they are still forgiven and loved anyways, it is almost more than a three can bear. Before Jacob met his brother face to face, he tried to soften him up by sending flocks and herds and gifts. Look at the interaction in Genesis 33, 8 through 11. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met before you got here? Like, it's like Jacob's just pushing them out in front of him, like going, here, take all these sheep, take all this stuff, take all of this. You'll love all this stuff. Don't kill me when you see me. And he says, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty, brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. Jacob still thought he needed to be able to appease his brother. He had to deceive him. He had to win him over. And it wasn't a game to be won. Forgiveness was already there to be had. He just had to accept it. And once those threes turn a corner in their lives, they're no longer driven by success or vanity or appearances, but rather by truthfulness, authenticity, acceptance. This can take a lifetime for threes to learn in all of us. And it only comes through the very thing threes avoid the most, failure. Failure. And that is their core fear being worthless, a failure, incapable, unimpressive, unsuccessful, inefficient. If any of those words strike to your soul, you've got a little bit of three in you. No one likes those things. But if you're a three, you have to stop fearing failure. You must stop believing the lies, I am what I do, I am what I have, And I am what others say I am. That's a lesson for all of us that we have to be able to do. We have to be able to hear the fact is that you are a child of God. That you are loved and accepted and pursued by God. Amen? We have to hear that. Not just threes, all of us have got to hear that to be the very core of our being beyond everything else. Even if your worst and darkest parts of yourself are fully known. You can also experience love 
and grace and forgiveness. Jacob's story tells us that. You don't have to be the person that you were in the past. You can be something different. If you decide to be the person in the past, it is because you are unwilling to move into the future of what you could be. That is the cold, hard truth. And if we always reflect on our past and the things that happened and we can't see beyond that, it isn't us, not anybody else. It is our sin to bear. Because God has freed us from that and given us a chance for a new life. And so as three strive for success and rely on validation from others to assess their value, they constantly create goals to track their achievements and impress others. And that core fear of failing to win the admiration of others and being considered worthless is that thing they wrestle with all the time. But we can all relate to God as the first mover, as the first achiever. That God has already done the work of salvation for us. And this also reassures us that there's nothing I can do to make God love me any more and there's nothing I can do to make God love me any less. Amen? You can't do that, no matter what you do. You can't make God love you anymore. You can't be a better person and God will love you more than somebody else. And you can't be loved any less, no matter what you do. Your actions may not be good, but that doesn't change the fact that you are loved. And I don't have to work for God's acceptance. I don't have to succeed in order to earn God's favor or anybody else's. And if I fail, it does not mean that I'm a failure. It means I'm willing to try and to do something. Or it means I made a mistake and I want to move past that. The biblical reminder for type 3s is that your value does not come from serving humankind especially those of you who are threes with a two wing because you're also a helper. And so both of those things go together in that way. And it makes it really hard sometimes to understand that what you do is not who you are. You have to keep saying that to yourself. And we hear it in the words of Colossians 3.23 when it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. All of us need to hear that. We all need to be doing what we're doing for God, not for each other and not for someone else we're trying to impress. We need to do it for God. Everything. And God's invitation for you and all of us today is this. I invite you to be free from the need to succeed in order to establish your worth in the world. Your worth is not established by what you do, but by who you are as a child of God. Threes, you are great, of a great value, regardless of your accomplishments. More trophies sitting on your shelf do not make you a better person than someone else. More things on your resume, more successes in your job, more wins by your team, they do not make you a better person. What's inside makes you a better person. Jacob learned that lesson over his life. 
And thankfully, with God's help, he became much stronger and much deeper and much higher in his understanding of God and his relationships. So are you a three? If not, what is your number? Susan and I, were, we were wrestling last night trying to figure out. We've always thought she was a two, and, and then she scored as a three, and we're confused, and we did some other stuff, and that um, eclectic energies test that I tell you about that says just take the test, don't read anything else, is really great for figuring out your wings. And we, Because one, two, and three seem to be all over the place, and there's a reason for that. Because Susan is a two at, at heart with a three wing, but there's a lot of one. And that's how it works. Your wings can influence you in a lot of ways. When we start asking the questions differently and talking about things, I understand some of this is all bunk and that sort of thing, and that's okay. I don't have any problem with that, but I'm having some great discussions with people. And I hope in some way that it's influencing you in some way to be able to think about how you relate. And if your spouse is like, well, I'm not going to do all that stuff, that's okay. Don't try to force them. You get into a big fight about that. Just learn more about yourself. The more we know about ourselves, the more we can interact with each other and help each other and listen. Because that's the biggest thing. Knowing a number doesn't make any difference. But understanding more about ourselves and others does. Then I can know when I have a friend who's close and they might be a peacemaker, for instance. I can know that a peacemaker is great in certain situations that I would never be good at. And I would call upon that person from their giftedness, instead of just guessing who it might be that might be good at whatever it is. It's not definitive. Taking 15 questions isn't really going to tell you much of anything. The first test, as Susan will tell you, she did not like now at all. Test number one's horrible. Right, exactly. We don't like test number one anymore. It's out. Test number two does a better job with percentages, to tell you that. And test number three does a much better job of figuring out your wing and percentage-wise, and that sort of thing. And as we gather at this table, there were surely people on Jesus' team who were achievers. It, it really would be interesting, and I'm sure that it's all been done, and I haven't done the research on it, but to know what every disciple is, or, you know, from what we know, to think about at the table, in all the three years they're in ministry together, that they were all different types of people sitting at that table with different strengths and weaknesses and fears and sins and everything else. And Jesus didn't just pick people out. He picked them out for a reason. He didn't pick people who were harmonious with him either. He didn't pick everybody to be a yes person to him. He picked people who were at odds with each other, who were trying to live out their faith, didn't understand, did dumb things, all the stuff that we do. But in the upper room at the end, they were all gathered in one place as brothers, celebrating. And who knows what they heard when he said what he said to them. Did his body be broken for them, given in love? They must have all interpreted that differently too, just like all of us do. What does that really mean to you? That his body was broken and given in love. What does it mean to you to, to know that his blood was shed, that he 
poured out his life for us on the cross and how does that affect you and what, how does that drive you and change you and make you feel? Where does it come from? Is it a gut feeling? Is it, is it from your head? Is it from your heart? How does that work? We all look at that differently. And yet we all gather around the same table. Even our differences. And we also know that he gave his life for everyone. All of us. And so as we gather at this table this morning, I want you to think about more about the fact is that you don't have to do anything to be loved by God. This is a clear sign for us that he gave his life without hesitation for all of us, even when we were not worthy. And we weren't and are not. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter to him now. It does matter that we put our hearts right with God, that we work our best to work out our disagreements with each other, that we are in relationship with one another, that we love God with our whole heart and that we will continue to learn more about him and to live more like him. That's what we're saying when we take this. We're remembering him and saying, you know what? I want to live like you, Jesus. I want to feel and accept your forgiveness. I want to know what grace really means when I'm undeserving. And so whatever it is you bring to these altar rails, know that he will help you carry it. That you're not alone. You don't have to achieve anything here. Just rest and be. Take on those attributes of a four we talked about last week. Like Mary, just sit at his feet. Hear his words for your heart. And go wherever he leads you. Let those coming forward to serve this morning come forward to serve as we pray. Gracious God, may this bread and this juice be for us the reminders of all of these things that we have talked about in this Jesus, the Son of God, who would give his life for us. We remember in these moments through this bread and this ordinary juice. And we ask now you bless them with the power of your spirit and allow us to be faithful to you and faithful in service to your world. Pour out your Holy Spirit on them now as we receive them. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. People of God said together, amen. Come, come to the table. There is a place for everyone. He invites you to receive.
Yeah.
know Jesus as a friend. We don't want to have to show him a list of our accomplishments. It's not what he wants to see. He wants to see our heart. He wants to see us being closer to him by being closer to one another. He wants to see us get along. He wants to see us not thinking that achieving is what we're here to do. Accomplishing our lists. Making sure that things work the way that we think they should work. There are no winners or losers in the kingdom except for one thing. There are always losers in the kingdom when we don't love each other. That is always a loss. So go forth. Know him better. Go higher. Grow deeper. Experience all that it means to love God. Amen.